Um, beginning of this year, one of the couples at North MacArthur invited their friends to church. And they were covered in tattoos, I mean, head to toe. He's bald-headed, which I'm not, I'm not against. But his whole head had a tattoo of what was supposed to be Jesus. And he came out one Sunday morning and he went, I could cover that for you. I said, no, no, you can't. No, you can't. He wants to put one on my head. No, thank you. But what I find interesting about visitors is they have a different perspective. They, they have questions that maybe we don't think about. So we know what an invitation is, right? At the end of one of the lessons, he came out in the foyer and he said, you know that thing you do at the end? I'm like, yeah. I mean, I know. He goes, does anybody ever come? <laughs> yes, they do. And within about six months, uh, he and his wife were in a Bible study and, uh, and I baptized him, and then his wife came down into the baptistry, and he baptized her. And people do come. The gospel is the power of God for the salvation of everyone who believes, Jew first and also to the Greek. And what a joy to, to have people with honest and good hearts uh, that, that want to know the truth. And when they hear the truth, you know, she said last night after her baptism, I've been reading those, she reads her Bible once a year. I've been, I've been reading those, those passages my whole life, but she heard them, you know, you can hear something and then hear something, and one day you finally hear it. And that's kind of what we're trying to do in meetings like this. So uh, if you want to open your Bible tonight, I think a lot of the passages, most of the passages are part of our PowerPoint, but we're going to be in 2 Kings chapter 5, okay? Uh, focus mainly on the first 15 verses of the chapter. We're going to meet Naaman, a commander in the army of the king of Syria, a leper. This passage tells us the story about how he was healed, and we're just going to start with the story from Scripture, okay? Verse 1 through about the first part of verse 5. Now, Naaman, commander of the army of the king of Syria, was a great and honorable man in the eyes of his master because by him the Lord had given victory to Syria. He was also a mighty man of valor, but a leper. And the Syrians had gone out on raids and had brought back captive a young girl from the land of Israel. And she waited on Naaman's wife. And she said to her mistress, if only my master were with the prophet who is in Samaria, for he would heal him of his leprosy. Naaman went in and told his master, saying, thus and thus said the girl uh, who is from the land of Israel, and uh, king of Syria said, go now and I will send a letter to the king of Israel. He's afflicted with a terrible disease through the providence of God. A young girl from Israel is taken captive. She, she knew that God working through the prophet, through Elisha, could heal her master. And she couldn't keep that good news to herself. She told, she told her mistress and there's a sense in which I'm, I'm, playing, I'm playing that role this week. I, I, you know, she is telling good news. Uh, he's sick, but he can be healed. And, and we're not talking about leprosy. We're talking about sin, and there's a solution. There's a Savior. J just like she's saying, there's a, there's a prophet in Israel. I want to tell you there's a God in heaven. 
And he changed my life. He can change your life. There's salvation. I, I can't imagine, you know, for, for those who are in the world, what, what, I don't think they know how much we want them to know what it's like in Christ. To have the burden lifted. Sometimes when I'm praying, I pray about things in my own life, and I, and I think, man, I, I want the world to know how I feel about that. And, and sometimes, just recently, I was praying about, sometimes we're entrapped, we're, we're, we're held in bondage by, by chains that we formed. Do you understand what I mean by that? Isn't there something in the Bible that says, if the sun sets you free, you'll be free indeed? Right? There are people who are held captive. They're in bondage. They're enslaved in a prison they built, but Jesus can set them free. In this story, it's a physical ailment. In our lives, we're talking about the sickness of sin, but I'm here to tell you, you don't have to be lost. You don't have to die in sin. You can be saved, right? So, just think about where we've been. We talked about the consequences. We talked about whose fault is it. We talked about where can you turn, you know, to get the help, find the answers you need. We talked last night, what must I do to be saved? In this story, we find some common mistakes that you need to avoid. There are some mistakes that this man made that some people in the world today also make. And that's what we're going to be looking at. Number one. This man thought he could purchase the gift of God. He thought he could purchase the gift of God. Second part of verse 5, he, he departed. And notice what he did. He took, with, he took with him 10 talents of silver, 6,000 shekels of gold, and 10 changes of clothing. I can only think of one, one reason why he took all, all, that, all that money. He expected... He expected that his healing was going to be a costly thing. A lot of people make that same mistake. They think they can buy the gift of God with money, but there's no amount of money that can make a spiritually sick person well. Giving to the poor. feeding the hungry, that, that might soothe my, my guilty conscience. It's not going to save my lost soul. Th three obvious problems with trying to purchase salvation. Number one, salvation is God's free gift to man. You can't purchase it because it's a gift and it's free. Romans 6.23 sums that up. The wages of sin is, is death, but the free gift of God is eternal life through Christ Jesus our Lord. I, I want to be clear in our preaching and in our teaching. Even last night, what must I do? And even after you do all those things that you must do, you didn't earn your salvation. Ephesians 2.8.9, by grace you've been saved through faith. This not of your own doing. It's the gift of God. It is the gift of God. Not the result of work, so that no one may boast. We can do nothing to merit our salvation. Uh, like Naaman's healing, it's free. Saying that salvation is free, it's not the same as saying that it costs nothing. It costs God his son. It costs Jesus his life. That's what we talked about on Sunday morning. If I'm lost, 
Whose fault is it? Well, you can't blame God. He gave his son. You can't blame Jesus. He laid down his life. Just because forgiveness is free doesn't mean that it's unconditional. Naaman's going to have to meet some conditions. We'll talk about that more as we go on tonight. If he's going to be cleansed of, of leprosy, he's got to meet those conditions. We've got to meet biblical conditions to be cleansed from sin. In neither case does merit have anything to do with the end result. You can't earn salvation. It's the gift of God. The second reason this is a big mistake is because redemption, this idea of being bought back from, from, from a life of sin, it, it can't be purchased with silver and gold. And, and I, I love when, when Peter describes this, it's not with perishable things such as silver and gold that you've been redeemed from your empty way of life handed down to you by your forefathers, but by the precious blood of Christ, a lamb without spot or defect. And listen, there's a lot in that that, that I think is important. That there are a lot of people, they, they think that their life has meaning and it has substance, but if God's not in it, it's an empty way of life. Sadly, that life is often passed down from their forefathers. People, so many people live the way they live because that's the way mom and dad lived. They're modeling what they've seen from their parents and from their grandparents. And you're not going to be redeemed from an empty way of life, a life without purpose, without meaning, with silver and gold. That redemption is paid for by the blood of Jesus. I love it when somebody's just coming up out of the waters of, of baptism. And, and at, our, at home, we, we sing, you know, what can wash away my sins? Nothing but the blood of Jesus. What can make me whole again? Nothing but the blood of Jesus. And so God's power for, for healing is, is found in his blood. Uh, to be cleansed of sin, we've got to be washed in the blood. I think Mark might have mentioned this passage last night. I can't remember. It was one of the songs uh, that he was leading. But, but if we walk in the light as he is in the light, we have fellowship with one another. Uh, blood of Jesus Christ, his son, cleanses us from all sin. I, I like words. I like language. I'm a, I'm a reader. My, my degree is not in Bible. My, my degree is in English. I think words like all, it's a little word. It's a big word. That's a big little word, right? My sin or the bliss of this glorious thought, my sin not in part, but the whole has been nailed to the cross and I bear it no more. Praise the Lord. Praise the Lord, oh my soul. I think when you came up out of the water last night, you gave a little one of these. I like that. I mean, I, I, think, I think we ought to be excited. You're never going to be more forgiven, more saved, more, I mean, brand new. And listen, you can't buy that. That's paid for. That's paid for. I'll tell you about your preacher. He hadn't, let me, he hadn't let me buy one meal all week. I keep trying. And he keeps saying, you're my guest. Now you all want to go out to eat with me. Tim will pay. You know. But listen, we can't, we can't buy it because it's already paid for by the blood of Jesus. Okay. Here's the, here's the final thought. Paul says in 2 Corinthians 12, 14, I seek not what is yours, but you. And, and a lot of people don't understand this, but, but God doesn't want what you have. 
He wants you. And I think there are a lot of people that don't understand that. They're, 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 they're giving sometimes to appease God. I'll give them a little bit of this, a little bit of that. And then, you know, he doesn't want that. What he wants is you. You can't bribe your way into God's good graces. He's, he's, not, he's not indebted to you because of your moral life, your benevolence, your generosity. It's not enough to show kindness by helping the poor. Uh, write a big check to the church or, or some other charitable organization. You, you have to surrender to, to the demands of Jesus. And apart from total surrender, there's no hope of being saved. Now, here's, here's the second thing. He looked for healing in the wrong place. He, he, he wanted to be healed, but he, but he looked for it in the wrong place. So now we're back in chapter 5, verses 6 and 7. He brought the letter to the king of Israel, which read, When this letter reaches you, know, know that I've sent you Nahum in my servant, that you may cure him of his leprosy. And when the king of Israel read the letter, he tore his clothes and said, am, am I God to kill and make alive that this man sends word to me to cure a man of his leprosy? Only consider and see how he's seeking a quarrel with me. He gets to Samaria and he goes to the palace and he meets with the king. But that little girl didn't tell him there's a king in Israel. She said there's a prophet in Samaria and, and he can heal my master's leprosy. And his name went to the wrong place for salvation. I think there are a lot of people that are making that same mistake in the world today. There are people that are, that are going to the doctrines of men. We have the word of God. But, but instead of going to the word of God, they're, they're listening to the traditions and to the teaching of men. And I, and I said a little bit about this last night, but I, I don't understand how people will accept, they'll, they'll come to God and, and what, what they're doing is say, we're going to come, but we're going to come on our own terms. And so there are things that you don't read in the Bible and they say, I'll do that. But then when you show them what God actually asks of us in the Bible, they say, but I'm not going to do that. I'm getting ahead of myself. I think sometimes not only do we look to human teachers who, who are not teaching scripture but their own opinion sometimes we're looking or, or we're depending too much on the righteousness of others I think there are people who are under the mistaken impression that if they're close to godly people they're God's people like I've got this wonderful godly mother and somehow I'm going to be saved by her faith or man if you ever met my granny you know uh, and she's such a dedicated, just committed Christian. And that's misplaced trust and misplaced hope. People go to the wrong place for their healing or for their salvation. I think there are those who go to teachers who will tell them what their itching ears want to hear. Okay? 
This man was told there's a, there's a prophet in Samaria. He went to the king. There's, there's salvation. The, the good news, the, the, the way to be saved is in Scripture. We're going to talk about all of that tonight. But, but instead of going straight to the Word of God, where do they go? They, they go to other people, and, and they sometimes appoint for themselves teachers who will tell them what they want to hear. It might make them feel better. You know, there, there's medicine That'll make you feel better, but it, it won't cure you. There's, there's medicine that might mask the symptoms, but it won't cure the disease. I'm just telling you, if I go to church and man hurts my feelings with the truth, I got a chance of getting better. I hope that makes sense. But, but somebody that tells me a, a nice, flattering message that, that helps me to be comfortable in my sin, he's no friend to me. Well, Elisha seeks to rectify the situation. Verse 8, when Elisha, the man of God, heard the king of Israel had torn his clothes, he sent to the king saying, why have you torn your clothes? Let him come now to me and he may know that there's a prophet in Israel. Elisha is God's representative. If Naaman wanted to be healed, he had to go to the prophet of God for guidance and instruction. In, in this generation, if we want to be free from sin, we've, we've got to turn to the inspired word that God has given us. And there are a lot of different verses that we could turn to, but, but I, I love what Paul says when, when, he, when he writes his second letter to Timothy. In verses 14 through 17, how, how from infancy, he says, you, you've known the scriptures that are able to make you wise for salvation through faith that's in Christ, Right? And, and then all scripture is God-breathed and it's profitable for teaching, correcting, rebuking, training in righteousness that the man of God may be thoroughly equipped for every good work. And I, I want to I kind of process some of that passage. One of my mentors, Brother Avon Malone, used to talk about all scripture is God-breathed. The Greek is pasa, grafe, theotnustos. Pasa is the word for all or every. He, he said grafe became almost the technical term for divinely given writing. Theotnustos is a compound word that means God breathed. All scripture is God breathed. How could you get closer to the breath of the Almighty than to open up the Bible and read? When, when, when Jesus says man doesn't live by bread alone but by every word that proceeds from the mouth of God, what, what, what Paul is saying to Timothy is, is this message came from the mouth of God. I want to start there. And then I want to kind of bog down just a little bit that this, this message is able to make you wise for salvation through faith in Christ. It came from God, and if you read it, you can learn how to be saved. You can learn how to become a Christian. Now let's walk through some of what the Bible does and how it works. It says scripture is profitable for teaching. And, and, that, and, and that means if there are things that you don't know that you need to know to become a Christian, the Bible will teach you those things. 
it's, it's profitable for rebuking, okay? So when you don't do the things that honor God, the Bible will tell you. <laughs> I, I'm, I'm sorry, listen, so, somebody told me one time, he, he said, Tim, when you preach, you make me squirm. I said, man, you give me too much credit. One guy, this is a true story, he was so mad at me after a sermon, he said, my wife, I, I never met him, that's the only time I ever saw the man in my life, they were visitors at our congregation that morning, he said, he said, my wife called you, and she told you I was going to be here, I said, I don't know you, I don't know her, but I know what happened to you, the word of God happened to you today, I'm not that smart, but the word of God will cut you up. It will, it will bring you under deep conviction. You're not mad at me. Uh, you, you're upset about what the Bible revealed. It will rebuke you. That doesn't bother me. I, I, I like when I read a book or I listen to someone preach and they expose in me things that I need to improve for God. The Bible will do that. It's profitable, notice, for correction if you ever do what you're not supposed to do, uh, not only does it teach you and rebuke you, it, it listen, it helps you find your way back. And aren't you glad? Aren't you thankful? I, listen, I don't think everybody that we talk to is, I don't think they're all bad people. I don't think they're disingenuous. I don't think they're dishonest. I think some have been deceived. I think some have been misled. I don't believe folks get dressed up and come to church because they don't care. And it's our job to, to show them through scripture that this is where you are, but here's where God wants you to be. And we should do that with respect. We should do it with gentleness. We should do it with love. We should do it patiently with careful instruction. But the Bible does that. And then there's training in righteousness. So when you get on the, the right path, the Bible helps you to stay there so you don't get off, off that path again in the future. Naaman's looking for healing and he went to the wrong place. He went to the king, he should have gone to the prophet. Men today are looking for salvation. A lot of them are, are looking in the wrong place. I, in a sermon one time, I, I, I was preaching, I kind of got, got into it, and I said, uh, the, the, the Bible says it, and I believe it, and that settles it. One guy pulled me aside, he said, you need that second point. <laughs> he said that the Bible says it, and that settles it, whether you believe it or not. And I'm just telling you, what people need when they're lost is not my opinion. They don't need my, my, my you know, clever insight, my funny stories, you know, my illustrations. I'm not against any of that as long as it leads them to the truth because that's what people need. Number three, he, he reacted with anger to God's remedy. And I'm just telling you, this is, this is sad, but it happens. I heard a sermon one time. The guy just summed it up. The gospel makes some people mad. The gospel makes some people sad, but the gospel makes some people glad. And it does make some people mad. Naaman came with his horses and chariots and he stood at the door of Elisha's house and Elisha sent a messenger to him saying, go, go and wash in the Jordan seven times. Your flesh shall be restored and you shall be clean. But Naaman was angry 
And he went away saying, Behold, I thought that he would surely come out to me and stand and call upon the name of his God, wave his hand over the place and cure the leper. Part, part of what upsets people is when they want God to act in a certain way and God doesn't behave the way they think he should. I, I don't understand how, how people think, how they have the audacity to tell God how they think he ought to behave. I thought he would altogether do this or he would do that. And, and when he didn't say what I wanted him to say, the man got mad. And it ha I'm just telling you, it happens all the time. Notice verse 11, Naaman was angry. He's confronted with God's remedy. He had in mind that the, that the prophet would do one thing, the prophet did another thing. And, 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 when, and when it wasn't what he expected, he got mad. He turned away, uh, he, he turned and went away in a rage. There you go. I don't know if he was insulted by that command, that, that thought never dawned on him. He'd be asked to dip in the Jordan River. He's an important man. Go down there and dip seven times. But whatever he expected, it wasn't that. And it made him mad. When people were lost, see, he was a leper. And, it, and if he wasn't cured, he was going to die of leprosy. And when we're talking to people who, who are lost in sin, if they're not saved, they're going to die in their sin. The wages of sin is death. Why would anybody allow anger to prevent them from accepting the salvation of God? God, God demands something unexpected, something, again, contrary to previous experience. There are people who have never really considered what the Bible says about baptism. They've heard a lot of other things, but they've not really heard what, what the Bible, what Jesus says. And when they hear it, not expecting it. For some people, they get angry. I'm talking about whoever believes and is baptized will be saved. Whoever does not believe will be condemned. They, they, they try to make passages like that say what they, they think it should say instead of just letting it say what it says. I said this last night, and I'll say it again tonight. It, you, you go study every time baptism is mentioned in reference with a promise salvation, forgiveness, whatever it is, having your sins washed away, being, becoming part of the one body. Every time you see baptism connected with a, a promise, baptism comes first. And the promise follows. Why can Jesus say that belief is essential and nobody nobody has a problem with that but he can't say baptism is essential well, why, why can Jesus say what he says in John three sixteen that, that God has so loved the world he sent his one and only son whoever believes in him will not perish but have eternal life and everybody goes you got to believe but but he can't say what he says in in Mark sixteen sixteen. Why can he say what he says in Luke 13.3 and Luke 13.5 that if you don't repent, you'll perish? Why can he say what he says about, about 
belief about repentance but somehow when when we get to baptism he there's no way he could have meant that he did mean it what he says about belief does not detract from what he taught about repentance and what he said about repentance doesn't detract from what he says about confession and none of what he says about belief or repentance or confession takes away from the power of what he says about baptism I remember, I think I was in Jamaica, and I heard some of the best preaching I think I've ever heard in Jamaica. And he, guy preached a sermon, what God has joined together, let, let man not separate. I'm just telling you, the word and joins these things together. Whoever believes and is baptized will be saved. And yet there are those that haven't heard that, and when they do hear it, they get angry. It upsets them. James has this teaching, this insight for us that I think sometimes we've misapplied to generally to relationships, but he's not talking about just our relationships. He's talking about how we listen to the word of God. And he says, everyone should be quick to listen, slow to speak, and slow to become angry, for man's anger does not bring about the righteous life that God desires. And, and see, here's the thing. There's a life that God desires. There's a life that he wants for us. He doesn't, we, we, we hit this on Sunday morning. He doesn't want us to perish. He wants us, he wants us to repent. He wants us to live. He wants to bless us. But a lot of folks are never going to experience the righteous life that God desires because they're slow to listen. Uh, they're quick to speak, and they're really quick. They have a short fuse. As soon as they start to hear something in the Bible, that confronts them with a change that they need to make in their life. Some, something that's lacking, something that they haven't done that God wants them to do. Instead of just having the humility to say, okay, I, I've learned something new, and as I learn new truth, I'm going to obey it. They get angry. Number four, and this is the last one. He, he tried to replace God's command with substitutes. Are not the Abana and the far, far part of the rivers of Damascus better than all the waters of Israel? Uh, could I not wash in them and be clean? Uh, Elisha said, go and wash in the Jordan seven times. Your flesh shall be restored. You shall be clean. But Naaman wanted to substitute. He, he said, I don't want to do it. Do I have to do it here? Why, why do I have to do it in the river here? Why can't I go home? There's, there, I think the rivers in my country are better than the rivers in your country. Why can't I do it my way? And I think a lot of people are making that mistake in their relationship and their walk with God. They try to substitute a clear command from God with something else. They replace faith with something called faith only or faith alone. Folks, we're, we're going we're to be saved by faith through grace, right? We're going to be saved. Our faith is going to be vital in that. But the only time you read the phrase faith only or faith alone, it's, it's something that the Bible's against. Faith without works. But what I described last night as intellectual assent, just agreeing with the facts. And so there are some that say 
the Bible requires faith, but I would like to replace that with faith only. They replace immersion uh, with sprinkling or pouring. A lot, a lot of people, they don't understand. They hear, they hear baptism, and they think it's any one of those three things, and, and it's not any one of those three things. The, the, the word in, in the original language does not mean sprinkle. It does not mean to pour. It means to immerse. And you know, when you read the Bible and you understand the language, it, it would be hard to argue that, that it's a sprinkling or a pouring when the Bible uses language like being buried with Christ. Have you ever seen one of these pictures that's supposed to be uh, John the Baptist baptizing Jesus and they're both in the water up to their waist and he's pouring water over his head? And none of that makes any sense to me. I could have stayed dry and done that on, you know, side of the side of the water there. But they're trying to justify their picture of what, what they think happened. They went down into the water. It, it was a burial. It was immersion. And, and so what people are doing is they're trying to substitute one thing for another and replace God's way with man's way. There are some that are, that are trying to, and when we tried to describe this or explain it last night, baptism for the remission of sins with baptism because their sins are already forgiven. And again, when you understand the language, the word there in the original language for means for. And, and, and if it doesn't, then you have Jesus dying because people's sins are already forgiven. And, and you know that makes absolutely no sense. I came into the world to die because your sins are forgiven. He came into the world so that our sins could be forgiven. And that word means the same thing. It's the same phrase, for the remission of sins. People want to replace God's way for man's way. One thing for another. Well, what about repentance and baptism? And, and, and it's so clearly stated in Acts 2.38 you know, what shall we do? Repent and be baptized. And it's been replaced with say a little prayer and ask Jesus into your heart. I, I wouldn't have a thing in the world against that if I could find it anywhere in the Bible. I don't, I don't want to give people false assurance of salvation. I'm just telling you, I pray about this stuff. That scares me a little bit. I, I don't want to re be responsible for, for giving people the impression that they're right with God when they're not right with God. To, to have the audacity to say, God's word says this, but you'll, you'll be okay if you do that. I think we ought to do what God says. You know, this idea of saying a prayer... Where do we find, well, where does Ananias find Saul of Tarsus? He's praying. What does he say? Well, good job, you're done. Welcome it. No. He says, what are you waiting for? You know, isn't it, isn't it amazing? There, there are those that need to be told, get up, be baptized, wash away your sins, calling on the name of the Lord. And there are preachers who said, don't do that. Just say a little prayer. This man's deep in prayer. He's been fasting and praying. And the man says, stop praying, get up and get baptized. Why? That's how you're going to wash away your sins. That's Bible. And yet you have people that, that want to replace clear teaching of Scripture with the traditions of men.
Lost people in apostolic days were taught to receive Christ by faith, repentance, confession, and baptism. You know what's interesting about that? There, there were some that didn't accept Jesus. There were some that rejected the message. There, there were some that tried to stone the preacher. I don't recommend it. Uh, but you know what? You never find an example of people arguing baptism in Scripture. Nobody ever argues it. They ask, what do we need to do when they're told? They surrender to it. They just submit to it. Nobody ever debates, well, that's work salvation. That, that's, that's Church of Christ doctrine. I'm getting off now. Let's get back to the text, right? I'm just telling you, no, no, nobody, nobody's told to say a prayer asked Jesus into their hearts that the apostles never sprinkled water or poured water over an infant and endorsed that practice. Baptism in the New Testament was reserved for adults who believed in Jesus, who confessed their faith in him, repented of their sins. And, and those are the people that we read about in the New Testament being baptized. And, and it was men who came along years later and, and replaced that apostolic practice with something else I just one thing that gives me hope I think I think we're running into more people and, and in some ways I know that it's not it's it's not good for our nation to be so irreligious the fastest growing religious group on a, on a census is the none, N-O-N-E. What's your religious affiliation? None. In some ways, I think that's a tragedy. In other ways, church, it's an opportunity. Because we're now dealing with a blank slate. We don't, we don't, a lot of people you meet today, you don't have to go back and argue with them about something that they were taught in, in their denominational background because they're not religious. I'm sitting down with people who are coming out of the world and I'm just telling them about Jesus. That's my favorite thing to do. I just, I love that. If I can sit across the table with one or two people, I like that more than I like preaching. I really do like to preach, but I'm just telling you, there's something wonderful about just sitting down with somebody and introducing them to Jesus. And you know, recently, I haven't had people debating or arguing or disagreeing because they're not coming from a different religious background. They're coming out of the world. But what happens sometimes is that there are people that, that have parents or grandparents or other loved ones who have taught them to think and believe a certain way. And what they've done is they've taken a clear command of God and they've tried to remove that and substitute something else in its place. And when we teach, as difficult as it is to confront that and explain that, we owe it to them at least to give them the information. This is verses 13 and 14. His servants came near and spoke to him and said, my, my father, if the prophet had told you to do some great thing, would you not have done it? How much more then? When he says, do you wash and be clean? 
He went down and he dipped seven times in the Jordan. According to the saying of the man of God, his, his flesh was restored like the flesh of a little child. He was clean. I want to use what they said, what his servants said to him, and, and I, I want to say that to, to anyone here tonight. I, I came to talk to people who are lost. If God asked you to do some great thing, wouldn't you do it? Why not just be washed and be clean? I had never seen preaching with a reader before. I loved it. <laughs> I loved it. And the, the preacher was preaching and he said he went down and, and he was told to dip one time and the reader said no, seven times it was great they had a cadence back and forth he told him to dip two times seven times what I like when he got to the end and he said you suppose Naaman came up that first time and looked I would have would you dip come up this is not working <laughs> dip second time I'm looking this is not working sixth time he must have thought what's going on seventh time he came up and what does the Bible say he's clean <laughs> right you know when you're going to have your sins washed away when you repent of your sins and you're baptized into Jesus Christ and you're not going to have your sins washed away until you do that you're not going to have your sins washed away just because you've heard the truth you're not going to have your sins washed away just because you believe what you've heard. And you're not going to have your sins washed away because you're starting to turn back to God. And you're not going to have your sins washed away just because you make a confession. You're going to have to be baptized into Jesus. But when you come up out of that water, you're, you're going to have everything the Bible says. You're going to have salvation. You're going to have forgiveness. You're, you're going to have new life. You're, you're going to be in Christ. You're going to be in the church. You're going to have the Holy Spirit. You're going to be brand new. I don't know. I mean, I'm, I'm visiting. When I'm at home, I, I know where to look during the invitation. There may be someone here tonight that there's, there's one step. There's just one step you need to take. You, you, you've heard, you believe, you're ready to change your life, you're happy to confess, but you have never put Christ on in baptism. We're going to talk about this tomorrow night, but I mean, I, I think... The most important thing you can do when you learn truth is to obey truth. There are a lot of people, again, I'm, I'm, I'm getting ahead of myself. I need to save some for tomorrow, but they, in their mind, I'm going to do it, and not now, but eventually, right? For some people, someday never comes. They have all these good intentions about what they're going to do one of these days. Can I just tell you, today's the day. This time right now could be the time that you look back on for the rest of your life and say, that's the day that changed everything for me. When I became a new creation in Christ. 
I like to say during the invitation, we are not inviting you to us. We're inviting you to Jesus. It's his invitation. Come to me, all you who are weary and heavy laden, I'll give you rest for your souls. We've been praying for you. We've been praying for hearts, souls, for your will to surrender. Would you come to Jesus tonight as we stand and sing?